You know, 10 months ago, we made a decision to redefine our direction. We knew there would be ups and downs this season. We knew that we would encounter some things that were going to be difficult, and we did. Uh, with that said, I think we're in a, a better place today than we were at this time last year. And I think we have an opportunity to grow as an organization starting today. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Levine, he goes right. Oh! Stop it, Samson! Did you not get the memo? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Here's Cantor. What are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. We're going to preach patience. It doesn't mean we're not going to be looking for ways to get better, but a lot of it's going to come internally. We need Zach Levine to be a better basketball player. Chris Dunn to come back a better player. Lowry Markkinen, Bobby Portis, you go down the line. They have to put in the time and confident that they will. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Like I said at the beginning, I feel better today about our, our direction and our position than I did a year ago. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls Basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and host of the 312 show on AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Be sure to follow the Locked on Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. We want to hear from you. Hit us up with all of your voicemails, your text messages, any questions you have, we do mailbag on Wednesday, every single Wednesday. So get those voicemails and those text messages in. Once again, 331-979-1369. Welcome back from the weekend, Matt. How was your weekend this weekend? Figured a little bit of a break from Bulls NBA news. Like we said before, like we said last week, just the end, the dead period. But realizing that we're quickly heading up to training camp now and like about a matter of a month, yeah. if not less yeah, than well, that. I mean, we're talking Bulls preseason um, about a month from now, a little, uh, a little more than a month from now. So we are getting there. And uh, yes, I did have a nice weekend. Thank you for asking. Hope you did too. I uh, caught some, some more Bears preseason football action on Saturday night. Bears got their first fake victory of the year. Uh, still not in love with what we're seeing from Mitch Trubisky in that offense, but you know it's preseason. We got time. Shout out to Locked On Bears. Go over there and check out uh, Lauren Cox and all of the stuff he's doing to get Bears fans ready for the football season. Uh, and then Sunday had a nice beach day with some friends. Went to Montrose Beach. Caught uh, caught the back end of the Air and Water show. Played some Can Jam. Had a few beers. Beautiful sunny summer's day in Chicago. Got to soak all those up, man. We're it's August twentieth. Fall's going to be here before we know it. I'm ready for fall, man. And that means college football. That means the NFL starting. And more importantly, the NBA is starting. I had a great weekend as well. And great news on the South side if you're a White Sox fan. 
tomorrow. Kopech day. Michael Kopech will be pitching. I'll be there. So it'll be his opener as a White Sox pitcher. Looking forward to that, definitely. So little bright spot of news for White Sox fans on top of the Cubs in the midst of a playoff race right now. So all of that good stuff, but we're here to talk about the Bulls. We still got plenty of Bulls news to cover, plenty of stuff to go over, plenty of content for you guys leading up to training camp. So on today's show, we're going to talk about two separate things. First, Sports Illustrated... Sports Illustrated dropped an article this weekend talking about the five potential breakout stars in 2018-2019 in the NBA. The Bulls have one player on that list, so we want to talk about that quickly. And then also we had a really good question from one of our texters about where we think Derrick Rose's MVP year stacks up against any other MVP in the league and whether or not people are justified for saying that he was one of the worst MVPs ever to win the award. Was he one of the best? So we're going to have that conversation as well because I don't think we've done that before on this show. So very interesting. But before we get to all of that, just want to shout out to one of our listeners from Australia. Again, I know Matt mentioned this on Friday, but uh, our our listenership overseas is fantastic as well as it is here in the United States. And shout out to all of our fans over there in Australia listening to us. But this one caught me uh, and I want to read it to you because we are out here converting fans of other teams to (laughs) the Bulls. This comes from Australia. It says... Hi guys, greetings from Brisbane, Australia. Have to admit, I'm an avid Suns fan, but started listening to your podcast around draft time this year. Matt cracks me up to make the ever-so-used player comparisons. Matt is the locked-on version of Chris Vernon from the Ringer Network. Don't censor a thing, fellas. Love it. Developing a sideline appreciation for the Bulls from your podcast. Love the listen, but still hashtag Suns for life. Feel so at home when heading over to Phoenix, having visited there twice. Keep up the great work, fellas. Always love when you drop a new episode. So that was from Nathan Hand all the way in Brisbane, Australia. So we appreciate the support here, even from fans of not the Bulls. So yeah, I maybe Nathan's a little upset with you now, Jordan, with all that you know trash talking you're doing about Devin Booker <laughs> over the last couple of episodes. I wouldn't call it trash talking. I would just more say he's a one-dimensional player at this point. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, well, appreciate the love, Nathan. And I don't know what to make of that comparison um, to Chris Vern. I don't listen to. I know he he does a pod for the Ringer. There are so many podcasts, and like the, you know, I I don't listen all that often enough to know whether that's a compliment or an insult to me I, I need to familiarize myself with this individual before I make a decision on whether or not that's a good thing uh you know I, I listen to the occasional Bill Simmons podcast if he especially if he has a really cool guest on I'm, I'm not like a big Bill Simmons fan I think he's has entertainment value but I don't necessarily agree with his takes but uh, I'll, I'll have to start listening to this dude Chris Vernon's podcast more regularly so that I know if I should be uh, offended or humbled by by that comparison, but either way, part of the reason why we do this is is to entertain you guys. I know Bulls fans, it, it's been a tough couple of years, and Jordan and I try to bring some light in in a in a pit of darkness right now. So I'm glad uh, to at least a handful of you out there. We can not only inform and enter, uh, but also entertain. That's all, always part of the goal every time we jump on. The yeah, it's mics. all right. Don't worry, guys. I've got. I've got a pump here, so I'll deflate Matt's head when I see him next, so he doesn't get too big. Okay. <laughs> hey, 
I'm 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 not the one talking trash of Bobby and and about to get his butt kicked uh, on bowling touche, lanes in a few weeks. All right, let's get to our topic. First topic of the day. So I had mentioned Sports Illustrated had dropped an article this weekend talking about the five potential breakout stars for the 2018-2019 season. This is more positive than last week's episodes where we were talking about the worst acquisitions in the NBA where a Bulls player was listed. Also players that were overhyped, which also a Bulls player was listed. So it's a little good to have some positivity going into Say their names, Jordan. (laughs) Jabari Parker and Zach Levine. So His name was Robert Paulson. So Michael Shapiro, writer for Sports Illustrated, dropped this article, and Lowry Markkinen is on this list, and he's actually listed number two on most likely to break out. Now, I don't know if he ranked these according to what he thought was most likely going to happen, but I'm going to take it that way because he's got Jason Tatum number one, (laughs) Lowry Markkinen number two, Fred Van Vliet number three, and Jamal Murray number four. And then number five, Montrez Harrell. So all of these guys, very interesting prospects, were really good in college, like really top-of-the-line college players, and now coming either into their second, third, or fourth year in the league, looking to break out. So one thing that he Shapiro had noted is that his his time at Arizona was that he could he could space the floor. He could knock down the three. He was a seven-footer that looked like he actually knew how to handle the ball. And he said he didn't really skip a beat when he came to the NBA. And I thought that that part of his game should all live up to the hype. And for how bad the Bulls season was last year, it seems like Lowry Markkinen kind of got overshadowed a little bit. And obviously not here by Chicago Bulls fans. But as far as the national media goes for the NBA, maybe Lowry Markkinen didn't get enough credit for what he did last Last season in his first year after all the criticism and the skepticism that people had on draft tonight. But the one thing I have a problem with is him still continuing to get compared to Channing Frye. Really like it if if NBA analysts got away from comparing him to Channing Frye. I know Channing Frye has been a pretty decent player, partly, but still. I think it's partly lazy just because they're both Arizona True. Wildcats. Like I think that's probably it's you know it's like I can't remember who who it was but who made that comparison like uh, between Wendell Carter Jr.'s game and Carlos Boozer's game yeah it would be Chauncey Billups okay yeah sorry Chauncey but no it's like just because guys went to the same colleges and play the same position um, or you know a combo of the same similar positions doesn't mean you can just compare their games when they're not really all that similar so the one thing that he does note too he says while the 21 year olds three lived up to the hype. It was his prowess of the bounce that made the biggest impression. Markkinen showed a deft handle and array of canny fakes in the post, adding a mean streak to boot. The finisher lived up to his nickname, unafraid of contact, eager to fight for position in the post. The stereotype of the soft European big man doesn't apply here. This is fantastic. You think about all the times that he was willing to bang bodies down low in his rookie year. I think about the times that he was putting the ball on the floor and dunking over guys, too. I just always go back to the memory of him dunking in the New York Knicks game, just throwing it down. Stacey King's call at the beginning of our show is going to stay there as a staple this year. To me, adding the the size to his frame this year and all the pictures we've seen of how big Markkinen's got just over this summer makes me really excited to watch what he can do and not have to so much rely on always shooting the three. His ability to kind of open up his game underneath and like he said, you know, he showed flashes of his post moves last year, but I'm really excited to see what he can do down low and especially defensively too. I think he got knocked a lot for his defense. I think we're going to see a pickup there this year and maybe see an uptick in his rebound 
rebounds as well. What do you think? What do you make of Markin in, in year two? And any of these other guys that were listed as well, out of any of those guys that I talked about, Jason Tatum, Lowry Markkinen, Jamal Murray, Fred Van Vliet, and Montrez Harrell, you think Lowry Markkinen is the most likely to break out in his second year? I mean, it depends on how you define breakout year, right? People have different ideas of what that means. Um, I certainly think that Fred Van Vliet is a guy who belongs on this list because we saw him turn into one of the most valuable bench players across the league last year for that second unit uh, of the Raptors that was very good it was one of the best benches in the league all season long and Van Vliet was a big part of that with with Markkinen and Tatum it's interesting because like Van Vliet was a bench player um, and Markkinen and Tatum were prominent starters and offensive focal points uh, of the starting five for you know pretty much in a, a full season so is it is it weird to call Jason Tatum a breakout candidate when he had such a such an insanely impressive rookie season already? And like I think this goes back to something we were talking about in a show last week where people are like people have started ranking Jason Tatum in like the best players across the league inside the top 15 or 20 above guys who were perennial all-stars in their prime. Which to me, you know, I would say let's pump the brakes about that, but because people are already talking about Jason Tatum as a player that good, does he really qualify to be on a list of a player who is coming into what could be a breakout year? Markkinen, to his credit, also was a, a an all-rookie first-team guy in his first year in the league. So I guess maybe breakout just means what kind of big leap do you make from previous season to next season. Um, so in that sense, I think Markkinen and Tatum are, are two of the, you know, the probably the two biggest names on this list. And the other guys are maybe a bit more of a, we'll see could be breakout Jamal Murray of the Nuggets as you mentioned also listed um it goes it goes to what you were saying as far as what marketing can do to expand upon his game I think the uh, SI columnist here was pretty uh, pretty generous touting Markkinen's uh post action that we saw his rookie year because it was a it, we didn't see a whole lot of it like Markkinen looked like he has potential to be an effective offensive player working from the block, and, and hopefully he has a wide a wide variety of motions uh, and, and options uh, at his disposal to become a great post up player offensively. But it seemed a little inflated to me the compliments that he was laying at Markkinen as far as what we saw from him in the post last season. But maybe he's suggesting that we could just see a whole lot more of it this year. And again, that goes back to the huge conversation, the huge dilemma, and what all Bulls fans are knowing is how will Fred Hoiberg get these guys to play together this season, and can Markkinen take a big step forward as opposed to maybe a sophomore slump year and losing some focus with a fully healthy Zach Levine and now also Jabari Parker. In the I like that you brought up Jason Tatum's name first and foremost. It's like, really, is he... I feel like his rookie campaign was kind of already a breakout, right? So I'm in agreement with you on Jason Tatum. I feel like maybe they could have inserted somebody else there because I just felt like his rookie season was absolutely phenomenal. And maybe that was in by and large in part because the Boston Celtics had guys like, you know, uh, Jalen Brown and they had Kyrie Irving. And I know Gordon Hayward was out after like a matter of 10 minutes playing total last year. And that sort of gave him the opportunity. It's funny because both of these guys got opportunities because guys weren't able to play that were supposed to start. Larry Markin got the opportunity because Nico Miritich was out for six weeks and Bobby Portis was suspended for the first eight games and kind of took, took together that opportunity. Jason Tatum's the same way, man. Like Gordon Hayward was supposed to be that 
that guy. And when Gordon Hayward went out, they kind of moved Jalen Brown to the two and allowed Jason Tatum to start starting at the three, and he took every advantage of that opportunity. I think the one player on this list that kind of surprises me is Montrose Harrell. Like, I remember Montrose Harrell at Louisville, and he was unbelievable, like an unbelievable talent, and went pretty pretty high in the draft, but people still didn't necessarily see the transformation that he was dominated in college, and maybe that's because he was more skewed to like the traditional center than he was like a an all-around uh, flexible guy that could play the four, the five, and kind of stretch the floor. But, you know, without DeAndre Jordan, without Blake Griffin now there, he's got a legit opportunity to be a guy that can help the Clippers and maybe make a name for himself now going into his fourth year. So his name, alongside Jamal Murray too, I think Jamal Murray is one of those guys that impressed us in his first two seasons. Now in going into his third year, this is kind of where we see the swing, you know? We always talk about the third year of players coming into the league and whether or not you're really actually going to be able to tell what they're going to be for their future. Jamal Murray getting the majority of the handles and now having to play alongside guys like Gary Harris, who's really good. Uh, and you've got Jokic down low in the paint. I think Jamal Murray is going to probably be one of the best out of this group, too. So if I had to rank these guys, probably be Jason Tatum, Laurie Markkinen, Jamal Murray, Fred Van Vliet, and then Montrez Harrell. But I think all all five of these guys have a way to contribute next year to, in order to make them a breakout star, quote unquote breakout star. Right. And I think, you know, I think we're in agreement that they have in different tiers, uh, a different definition of what breakout year for them will mean. Because it's not like Markinen averaging close to a double-double in points and rebounds is a breakout year because we just saw him from that uh, saw that from him as a rookie. It's not like Jason Tatum doing again this upcoming season the same thing that he did this past season would be a breakout year. It, it would have to be a significant, almost surprising jump in level of production across the board compared to what these people did last season. And so for role players, like some of the other names you mentioned, Harrell and uh, and Van Vliet, maybe that's not quite as uh, demanding of a jump. Whereas if someone like Markinen or Tatum or even Jamal Murray would have what people would widely agree to be a breakout year, you're talking about them going to being a you know, 20 plus points per game score and having big numbers across the board in the box score, you know, whether for somebody like Tatum, it's rebounds and assists or for marketing, whether it's rebounds and hopefully, as you mentioned, an uptick in blocks, that kind of thing. Um, this is, I think this, we can also agree, this is what you and I want. This is what you and I both want is to see Markkinen take a big step forward and to be a breakout player of the year kind of candidate. And, you know, what the what does the NBA call this? Well, you might make the parallel to when award season rolls around. Most improved player of the year. Could that be something that Markkinen, for as good as he was as a rookie, be in the running for in his sophomore campaign? I think that's what you and I want more so than anything when it comes to the development of this young core right now. If you took the collective, these five breakout candidates, and you put them in a starting five on an NBA team, don't even consider a bench or anything like that, how many wins do you think this team could get? Fred Van Vliet is your point guard, Jamal Murray is your two, Jason Tatum is your three, Lowry Markkinen is your four, and Montrezl Harrell uh, is your five. I, that, that might be a 40-win team. That's what I'm saying. I think that could be anywhere between a 35 and a 40-win team. Just with that starting five alone, I, yeah, I could. I, I'd say I, I wouldn't feel too good about mid forties nearing fifty, but I would say that team could certainly have the potential to win 
40 games. Maybe, you know, maybe low 40. We got to take a short break here on Locked on Bulls, but when we come back, we're talking about Derrick Rose again. Interesting text message that we got late last week that we wanted to spend a bulk of our time on. So that's what we're going to touch on. You can hit us up. 331-979-1369 is our text and voicemail line. Don't be shy. Drop us a voicemail or a text message. We want to hear from you. We're doing Wednesday mailbags, so get all of your questions and your voicemails in there. Stay right here with us at Locked on Bulls. Be back in 60 seconds. Back here on Locked On Bulls. Once again, you can hit us up, 331-979-1369, with your text messages and your voicemails. You can always hit us up on social media as well, on Twitter, at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. All right, Matt, since we're in the offseason, kind of the dead period of the NBA, we hope Bulls fans out there don't mind us kind of reminiscing on some history of the Bulls, talking about some what-ifs. And I feel like, you know, we do a good job of blending the content of present and past and maybe future as well here on the show to just kind of mix things up. You don't want to, nobody wants to hear us sit here and talk about the same things over and over again for eight weeks when we haven't really seen anything on the NBA floor. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the content that we're bringing you from past history. And so keep those questions coming in because we really appreciate it. We had a really great conversation about Jamal Crawford and why he was traded last week. We had conversations about the, if you could turn a bust into what they were projected to be, of former lottery picks for the Bulls. So it's all really great conversations that we're willing to have here. And so this kind of goes in line with that as well. So this comes from the 219. They texted us last week. It says, hey guys, love the show. Walter here from Indiana. I was having an argument with a friend the other day and he said that Derrick Rose was the worst MVP of all time. How do you think Derrick Rose stacks up against other former MVPs of the league? He said, I'd personally take him over Steve Nash's MVP. Yeah, year. this is... Uh I'm I'm sure at least one of us is about to get in trouble, Jordan, because um, this is a conversation that Bulls fans have a lot, and it's usually instigated by not Bulls fans themselves, but but Derrick Rose stands and Derrick Rose defenders who are Bulls fans who are responding to other NBA fans on Twitter usually or on NBA Reddit where these conversations start to churn around and get tossed around, which is. Who are some of the most overvalued, overhyped, and undeserving MVPs in NBA history? And Derrick Rose regularly regularly finds his name among those most commonly mentioned. Um, and you and I have touched on this a bit before when it comes to Rose's MVP season and some of the other factors in there. Um and I've expressed my opinion about how it also has to do with the Bulls' win total jump from the previous season, 20 win total jump to the number one team in the Eastern Conference, the fact that he took the league by storm and was just doing jaw-dropping, eye-popping things on a nightly basis, Sports Center top 10 highlights when it comes to insane crossovers and twisting and contorting his way to insane and ones, and just doing so with the beauty and grace, which really we hadn't seen before from NBA player his size. I think that Derrick Rose was a great and deserving MVP that season. A lot of people say it should have been Dwight Howard or LeBron, and there are arguments to make for them for those cases. The 
the the end of Walter's point about he would rather have Derrick Rose's MVP season than Steve Nash is one that I hear frequently and I think is a little misguided. Nash won two back to back 0405 and then 0506. A lot of people think that Shaq should have won in 0405 instead of uh Steve or or, or in uh Shaq should have won in 0506 and Kobe should have won 0405. You look at that Suns team, and I, I don't know if I agree, I agree with you there. I think we could talk about other MVP winners who were maybe less deserving than Derrick Rose, but I would not include Steve Nash among them. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough for me, especially because Derrick Rose didn't average a double-double the way that Steve Nash did. And we had this conversation before, too. We were talking about like all the players that kind of went down, and Steve Nash had to be the go-to guy on that team. On those Both of those teams. Nash Nash had a healthy Amari who was averaging like 25 or 26 points in the 0405 MVP season, which a lot of people said like, or 26 points it was, 26 and 9 rebounds for Amari. And some people are saying, like, dude, like Steve Nash wasn't even statistically the best player on his team that year, but he ran the offense that was the number one offense. Then what you just mentioned, the following year, 05-06, Amari was lost for the season after just three games. And they remained the most, uh, the highest points per game offense in the league and fell from first to only second in offensive rating across the league. And that was thanks largely, solely because of Steve, because of Steve Nash. It's kind of hard for me to compare MVPs in different eras just because you look at some of the statistics and what was considered um, crucial as far as an MVP goes and then some of the statistics now in the modern NBA that we are considering to be more crucial than maybe they were in the past. Like I'm looking at just talking here so nobody get their nobody get start pulling their hair out or anything. But I'm looking at like Allen Iverson in 2000-2001. Yeah, he had he was averaging 31 points per game, but you look at the other statistics around him. I mean, 3.8 rebounds per game, 4.6 assists, 2.5 steals. He was shooting 42% from the field, only shot 32% from three. You compare that to Derrick Rose's numbers, 25 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 7.7 assists, and he shot 44.5%, 33.2% from three. If you're just taking those basic statistics... I think like you can compare some of the things Derrick Rose was able to do on top of just being the number one scoring option on that Bulls team. But I think it, it goes without saying that the jump that the Bulls had from the year previous to when Derrick Rose the, won the MVP, I think was insurmountable and had to be considered as one of the best parts of his story. And I think the story goes along any with anything else as far as his MVP season goes. And yeah, you can make the argument for Dwight Howard. You can make the argument for LeBron James. But the story in 2010-2011 was always surrounded around Derrick Rose. And what he was doing at the age of 22 was unprecedented like people never didn't see this happening and this didn't really happen all that quickly for any other MVP you look around the league in the last 20 25 years you know guys were winning the MVP at 24 25 26 27 right in the middle smack dab in their primes well yeah I mean Rose Rose is and will always be maybe not but, you know, it would be pretty crazy to see an MVP come around who breaks his record of being the youngest MVP in league history because that's what Rose was, and you're not wrong about that. Another element here, and it's something that Bulls fans probably don't want to hear, certainly Rose stands who think that he was absolutely 100% deserving of that MVP award, who say Rose is the biggest reason that that team went from a 40-win team to a 62-20 and 20 team. Or so it was 41-41, and 41, 
in the last Vinny year, 09-10, and then 62-20, and 21-win jump. That's huge. And a lot of people say it was mostly because Rose turned himself into an MVP caliber, MVP caliber player, and I don't necessarily disagree with that in its entirety, but let's also remember that from 09 to 10 to 10 11 we saw the exit of Vinny Del Negro and the uh, and the uh, inclusion of Tom Thibodeau his first year at the helm as the head coach of this team in 2009-2010 the Bulls ranked 13th in the league at, in opponents points per game at 99.1 pretty good you know, above average, but not elite. And defensive rating, 105.3, 11th of 30. Again, pretty good, but not elite. In Tom Thibodeau's first season, which was also Derrick Rose's MVP season, those numbers jumped to opponents' points per game, 91.3, second in the NBA, and defensive rating, 100.3, first. The best defense in the league was coincided with the emergence of MVP caliber Derrick Rose. So you cannot give Rose, as much as you may want to, you cannot give Rose all of the credit or even a a significantly bulk portion of the credit for how much of a jump the Bulls made. Because Tom Thibodeau and the defensive improvement from a bit above average to elite, and again, that, that really did not have Derrick Rose's handprint on it. Derrick Rose was an insanely gifted offensive player, but has never been a great defensive player. Comes up with a, a couple of occasional, really surprising athletic blocks for a guy his size, and you know, occasionally would come up with some some steals, getting his hands in passing lanes, but has never been an elite defender. So Derrick Rose really didn't have a whole lot to do with the Bulls turning themselves into the best defensive team in the league. And that's why you can't necessarily say that it was all D Rose for the Bulls making such a big jump that year. The only one that I can come to like a a legit comparison about Derrick Rose and, you know, the questions that I may have. And while this is just looking off basic statistics for Stephen Curry, it's the first time he won MVP 2014, 2015. Look at the, look at the numbers for Stephen Curry. I know his shooting percentage and his three point percentage were through the roof and way better than Derrick Rose's, but his normal average is 23.8 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game, 7.7 assists per game and 2.2.0 steals per game. So I'm looking at that and considering Steph Curry's not that great of a defender, like he's an average. And I think Derrick Rose at his time at 22 was probably about an average defender Looking at both of their MVP years, like you could make a legitimate argument there as well. If you're talking about Derrick Rose having a trash season and being a trash MVP, well, you can kind of look at Stephen Curry's 2014-2015 season and kind of make the same comparison there. Obviously, like I said, the shooting comparisons are a little bit different. Stephen Curry was about 5% higher as far as overall field goal percentage, and he was nearly 10 points 10 percentage points higher from the three. Uh, but I think you're right, man. Like, I, I just think it's difficult to take MVPs in different eras and try and compare them. And it's even more difficult when you're talking about guys that don't play the same position. Like, you could make the same comparison for Dirk's year in 2006, 2007. Numbers are pretty similar, and you flip-flop the rebounds and the assists, and we're right there. Shooting percentage was a little bit better, but you get what I'm saying here, is some of these guys you can make arguments for, but ultimately, I think 
it's pretty difficult to take MVPs from different eras of basketball and try and compare them. It's like the Michael Jordan, LeBron James conversation, which I absolutely hate having because I just think it's too difficult to compare guys in the modern era to guys in different eras of the NBA. And the NBA was just played differently. So if you're trying to compare somebody, I think Stephen Curry's MVP year, 2014, 2015, you can kind of make an argument if you're a Derrick Rose fan there. But everywhere else, I would just say like, it's pretty difficult to kind of come up with a comp for who might be worse than Derrick Rose and who might have been better than he was. Um, I think it just all goes around circumstance every single year, too. Like, you could talk every single year about different players that should have won the MVP. Yeah, that's that's the other part of the conversation, right? Is not just it, statistically did this MVP have an underwhelming season when compared to what you usually expect to see from MVP winners statistically, and in particular being one of the most dominant scorers in the league. That's usually... You know, Steve Nash was kind of an anomaly in that way as a guy who was a pass first point guard who led the league's most efficient offense, who didn't necessarily score a bunch of buckets every night, but was, I think, and and, and as I said, my opinion, rightly projected to be or uh, cited to be the, the most valuable player on his team and in the league when it came to being the best player on one of the league's best teams. But comparing the, you know, comparing guys who won the the MVP over multi, multiple generations, as you said, is tough. But a lot of the conversations are about, was there another player that season who people collectively agree was more deserving? And that's why with Rose, it was Dwight Howard or LeBron should have won that year. A lot of people will think that, especially this is a popular opinion here in Chicago, that Malone should not have won that MVP in 1997. Because and that was it's and it's something that LeBron James has dealt with through the the bulk of his prime, which was well, we can't give the MVP to MJ again. Like we got to give it to somebody different. And a lot of people think that that's why LeBron didn't win and lost to Derrick Rose for MVP in 2010-11 because people were sick of giving LeBron James MVP awards. Got to vote for somebody else. Hey, this kid had a great year, really great story, wowed us all season long with spectacular plays, and his team made a 20-win jump. MVP, there you go, right there. So, I mean, like, those kinds of things happen all the time. You look at those 97 numbers, MJ wasn't a double-double guy as Malone was because, again, different players, different positions. But across the board, MJ had a better season statistically, and he followed up a 72-10 and 10 season with a 69-13 and 13 season, another title, and a lot of people forget, too, two of the most key pieces of that 96-97 team, their starting center, Luke Longley, and their sixth man, Tony Kukoc, missed, they each missed like a third of that season. And MJ still led that team to 69 wins. People are saying, how do you give Malone the MVP over MJ for all of that? And it just, you know, it's the, it's the same reason that Derrick Rose won the MVP in 10-11 over LeBron James. Got to give it to somebody else. I'm glad you brought, up, brought that up. So what you're saying basically to me is there is some somewhere on fans and people who feel like should be awarded the MVP because like you were saying like the last 10 years LeBron probably had a legitimate case to win the MVP every single year right consecutively (laughs) as 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 did MJ I mean take a look at that Cavs team and again MVP is a regular season award if it were a full season including playoffs award I don't think there's any doubt that LeBron would have beat James Harden because hey guess what once again, the Rockets didn't even ma- manage to make it to the finals, let alone win the whole thing. And LeBron dragged that team through, yes, a weaker Eastern Conference. But, oh my God, dragged that team. If, if, if MVP were, this is the best player in the league, 
and he takes his team as far as he can, and if it weren't for that player, that team would be trash. That is LeBron James over the last 10 or 15 years. Outside of the years in Miami when he had Wade and Bosh around him. Here's the five players that received votes for MVP in 2010-2011. Just to kind of give you a little bit of perspective of what people were thinking when they were voting on the MVP. Derrick Rose, so you could get a max point value of 1,210 points. Derrick Rose had a, a 1,182 of the possible 1,210 vo- uh, points in the voting system. He had 113 first place votes. Dwight Howard had three first place votes. LeBron James had four first place votes. Kobe Bryant had one first place vote. And then fifth rounding out the entirety was Kevin Durant at 22 years old. He had zero first place votes, but got points for that. So looking at all of those guys, it was pretty much consensus that Derrick Rose was the MVP. There wasn't really like fans could make the argument for Dwight Howard or LeBron James. But ultimately, it seemed like the writers that were voting on this uh, came to an agreement that Derrick Rose had the best season. Like what? Okay. Yes. Oh, but I, I'm like I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here from the Rose stands that listen to our show. But what the numbers you just rattled off that Derrick Rose had? What did you say? 113 of the first place votes, and LeBron James had four. Yep. That is absurd. So clearly, everybody in NBA media who gets to vote on this kind of collectively decided this this Derrick Rose kid who started the season on media day saying why can why can't I be MVP of the league and then pretty much backed that up having one of the most exciting and spectacular seasons we've seen from a young point guard in this league in years in decades yeah he deserves to win the MVP but i mean come on 113 to 4 LeBron James, yeah, he had more help, so maybe he lost some some MVP votes because he had Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, you know, flanking him with the Heatles in the first year of that experiment. So maybe he loses a few, but 113 to four. I'm sorry. It again, this goes back to what does how do people define the MVP tag, most valuable player? Because people have different definitions for what it means. If it is just the best player in the league. I'm sorry, but yeah, LeBron probably should have been the MVP over Rose in that season. Just from a purely dominant player standpoint, yeah, that that 113-4 to four is ridiculous in that sense. The only thing I will say is what you just brought up is that LeBron is coming off the the first season, coming off the decision. You know how a lot of people felt back then in 2010 about the decision? A lot of people hated him for that. Going into a team that had Dwayne Wade in his prime, Chris Bosh in his prime, that probably didn't help him out. Obviously, the stats speak for itself. And Derrick Rose and LeBron James had pretty similar stats outside of the rebounds. I'm like even going back to their offensive and defensive rating. Like, look at Derrick Rose's offensive and defensive rating from 2011, 2010-2011. He was a 113 offensive rating player, which was his highest season ever, and a defensive rating of 103, which isn't that bad at all. So he was a plus 10 in overall rating. LeBron James was 116 in his offensive rating, which is ridiculous, and 102 in defensive rating. So he was a plus 14 there. So I look at that and say, okay, they were a little bit similar there, and you can make the case in the argument of, of secondary stats for LeBron and Derrick Rose. But I think the argument is more in line with Dwight Howard. Like I look at Dwight Howard's numbers, just 23 and 14, averaging 23 and 14 and then two and a half blocks a game. That's crazy. 
So if you want to talk about maybe filing the the first place votes among Dwight Howard and LeBron James, I felt like more so it aligns with what Dwight Howard did that season than it did with LeBron. And it goes just back to the story, like LeBron joining two other superstars in this league and then putting up the numbers that he did. I think a lot of people held that against him in that in 2010-2011 year. And so maybe the popularity thing and people didn't like the decision and people saw LeBron as a villain and so they didn't want to root for him. They didn't want to root for the Heat. They didn't want to vote for him for MVP. But even though he joined a couple of other stars in Bosch and Wade, he still had a usage percentage of 31.5. Yeah, that's crazy. Which was, which was not even a full point lower than Derrick Rose's 32.2 on a team when Derrick Rose was asked to handle a lot of the offense on a nightly basis. So his usage percentage, even going from a washed-up Cleveland team that he had taken as far as he could to playing with the, the Heatles and two other all-star caliber players was right there in line, usage percentage-wise, with Derrick Rose. And as you pointed out, had a higher offensive rating. He has a had a higher value over repra- replacement player, had a higher portion of win shares, had a higher portion of win shares per 48 minutes. Like, statistically, yeah. But it's funny that we're talking about how if it wasn't Le- if it was a D. Rose, it should have been LeBron. You said, well, what about Dwight Howard? At 23 and 14, plus two more than two blocks per game is nuts. And yeah, maybe Dwight should have been the winner that year. But again, Dwight was always known more as a defensive player, a defensive star. Defensive stars don't win MVPs, even if in that season, Dwight was averaging 20 plus points per game. But again, it's it's the simple fact of who's the best player in the league does not always equate to who's the MVP. Because Dwight Howard, as good as he was that season, was not people didn't refer to him as the best player in the league and nobody ever did even in his prime Derrick Rose that one year enough people said hey maybe even by my definition of what MVP is Derrick Rose has sort of taken some kind of mantle away from LeBron to be this kid is the most is the most dominant offensively player in the league he is the best player in the league I'm sitting here saying nah no if MVP goes to who is the best basketball player in the National Basketball Association this season LeBron would have been the what 14 time reigning winner right now everybody's got a different definition of what and what goes into an MVP just like you were saying so you can make an argument every single year so getting back to kind of closing out this question what you and I think are coming to a consensus about is instead of comparing past and present MVPs more so go back to the players that were in the running for MVP that year and do the comparison there. I think that more closely aligns to maybe making an argument for somebody than past and present MVP winners and trying to compare eras and doing that whole thing. I hate doing that as an NBA fan, and maybe some fans out there that listen to this show like doing that and feel like it's worthy of that, but just to me, I think the way that the game changes constantly, you can't do that and adequately say one guy was better than the other because it all comes down to circumstance and it also comes down to to basically an opinion. It's like, what do you consider to be MVP? What do you take into account as far as an MVP goes? So if you want to have the argument about Dwight Howard and LeBron James that year, I mean, you can certainly do that and go back and forth. And same thing with Derrick Rose fans, fans that feel like he should have won the MVP and he's... It should be considered 
as not one of the worst and go back to Dwight Howard and LeBron James. There's certainly a case to be made there as well. So I think both of you, you and I are on board that saying like having the argument is kind of a waste of time unless you're arguing players within that year and who should have ended up winning the MVP. Because you like, I look at modern era, like Russell Westbrook and James Harden, like, yeah, Russell Westbrook averaged a a triple double, but a lot of people were talking about how James Harden should have won the MVP over Russell Westbrook that year. And really neither of them should have won over LeBron James. Like (laughs) it goes back to that conversation so, too. And, and like and this is a proposed solution and I think Rachel Nichols has talked about this on the jump because this is something that frustrates her as well uh, and and any NBA fan who is looking at this and saying all right well objectively LeBron's the best player um, make two awards if you want to have an MVP award where this guy played like one of the top five players in the league this season and his team did very well because of how well he played that is the definition of being the most valuable player to your team in a 30 team organization uh, in a 30 team league you are so valuable if you take this player off of this team they are nowhere near as successful as they were this season that we all just watched so in that sense you can have diversification of who wins the award on a yearly basis and make a separate award that is just best player Best player. If there were an MVP award because of what a particular player means to their team versus who's the best player in the league this year, then you'd be talking about maybe a variety of MVP winners on a year-to-year basis, depending on which teams are trending up and down, which teams have big win jumps, things like that, as we saw with Rose and the Bulls that made a 20-win jump and getting MVP votes because of such a thing, versus... Yeah, well, until LeBron turns 45 or whenever that day is that he decides he's done, have a second award that's just best player and like LeBron gets to win every year. Or maybe it's not, you know, maybe at some point in the near future it's Kevin Durant or it's a, it's James Harden again or it's Westbrook again, but to me it's just silly because we're sitting here having this debate about certain examples of eras and like these these go all the way back. Like there's Bob McAdoo won in like 75 and a lot of people think that he robbed Rick Barry. Like there are lots of examples of these that go generations back as far as MVPs and people that they robbed who should have won the award. So just if we can't come to a consensus on what MVP means then have two different awards. It makes sense. And maybe this conversation gets cleared up once LeBron is out of the league. You know, you're talking about a guy that has changed the NBA, one of the greatest players of all time. So maybe we get to more of an even voting, more fair voting once he's out of the league. I think we can all come to a consensus. I like that idea, too. I don't know how you would call it, what you would call the that award. But like you said, I think it makes it a little bit more fair to compare and not use the biases against LeBron just because he's won it in the past a bunch. And maybe just because it, people are a little bit worn on the fact that LeBron's always, you know, always got the attention and it, it's fair to back it up, though, because he's backing it up with his statistics. He had statistically one of the best years last year in his entire NBA career. So I like that idea, though. I think that that could play well. Yeah, and, and his numbers were better than Harden. Yeah, Harden's. which is crazy. And like, and it, 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 that was not a hidden fact. People on NBA Twitter were like, wait, okay, timeout. Why is everybody saying that Harden's the clear-cut runaway MVP? Yeah, the Rockets are real good, but Le- LeBron is in his 15th season – having statistically one of the best, if not the best seasons of his career, and people are just giving this award to Harden. Like, why? Why? And that's why a lot of people ask, why? LeBron James statistically had a better season than Derrick Rose did, and his Heat team beat the Bulls in five in the conference finals, and his, despite getting co-stars in Wade and Bosh, his usage percentage was right there along Rose's, so why? 
It's 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 a baffling conversation, man, and I don't see any kind of clear cut uh, way that it's resolved. Because as cool as the idea is to just have two awards, MVP and Best Player, I don't think the league's going to do that. I think they're just going to stick to this system where people have different opinions of what MVP means, and they're allowed to have different opinions of what MVP means, and they vote accordingly. And you get results like LeBron James getting four first place votes to Derrick Rose's 113, which I had forgotten. And when you reminded me of that, I think even as someone who loved that season, I hold it so close to my heart that that is one of the most gross oversights of NBA media that has ever happened. All right. So just to round this out, I figured I'd remind you a little bit about uh, who else received votes for the MVP that year in 2010-2011. So sixth was Dirk Nowitzki. Seventh was Dwayne Wade. Eighth was a 33-year-old Mano Ginobili. Ninth was Mari Stoudemire with the Knicks. And then tied for 10th was Rajon Rondo in Boston and rookie Blake Griffin, which if you want to talk about a rookie year and absolutely dominating, Blake Griffin had a dominant rookie season for the Clippers at 21 years old. He was tied for 10th with Rajon Rondo. And then to kind of round it out, it was Tony Parker and Chris Paul. So all of those in votings, and obviously they got tiny amounts of votes. Uh, Mano Ginobili and Dwayne Wade being the highest of those. The rest were under 10% of the voting. So just a little reminder of who else was comparing there. So Walt, to answer your long-form 20-minute discussion and question, Go back and have the argument and maybe have the argument about players within the MVP voting of that year. And it's it, it would be a better conversation to have and an easier one to argue than trying to compare guys of, you know, 10 years past to 10 years apart. Uh, having that conversation, I think, is a little bit more difficult. But people still continue to love to have the LeBron, Michael, Jordan conversation. So it's up to you, really. But I think the more constructive conversation is to talk about players within that yeah. year and who could have beaten out Derrick Rose rather than comparing Yeah, and this is the last thing I'll say before I get myself in trouble. We got to get out of here. If you are a Bulls fan who believes that Michael Jordan was robbed of his MVP in 96-97 and that Carl Malone was not deserving, and you are also simultaneously a Rose stan who says, absolutely, hands down, by and large, no question, Derrick Rose deserves to be MVP over LeBron James in 10-11, you're, you're a bit hypocritical. I mean, let's let's just call it that. You're a bit hypocritical. Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Remember, 331-979-1369 is our text and voicemail line. Hit us up. We want to hear your reaction. Anything from last week's show, conversation that we just had today, we want to hear from you. So drop us a text message or a voicemail at 331-979-1369. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com, and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 